We're going to take a break from 1 Corinthians, and this week we're in the book of Acts. If you'd open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 8, we're going to read verses 26 to 40. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation, for his life is removed from the earth? The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. This is the word of the Lord. Now, first of all, who was Philip? I thought I knew, but I, I, I really didn't know who Philip was. Who is Philip? Is this Philip the man who was the first of the apostles, the disciples chosen by Jesus? There is Philip, an apostle. Is that who this is? He's preaching the gospel. Is it one of the disciples who became an apostle? Philip also is what? A deacon. Philip was one of those chosen by the early church to make sure that the distribution of food among the widows was fair. They had different ethnic groups, and so they, you, know, you, you tend to divide over ethnicity, right? Maybe you don't, but I do. And so there was a question of inequality, and so they appointed men who were trusted by everybody to preside over the giving of uh, food to the different widows of the church. Philip was one of those men. Now, we all know that this Philip is one of those men, right? But how do you know that? 
You don't really, because it doesn't say Philip the deacon. But if you go to Acts chapter 21, verse 8, there you will read this. Just incidentally, it says this. It says, On the next day we left and came to Caesarea, and entering the house of Philip the evangelist who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. And so now what we know is that this deacon was an evangelist. We also know that this Philip was the one who was involved with the baptism, the preaching of the gospel and the baptism of the man who thought he could buy with money the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember that guy, Simon Magus? So Philip was involved with him. So Philip preach the gospel. So Philip here is doing what he did. Immediately what this should tell us is that the office of deacon is much higher than we think of it. Because who was another preacher who preached so well that they murdered him? Who said, God, in the face of the temple, their glorious temple, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, who said, God does not live in temples made with human hands. And the religious leaders were so infuriated at everything he said. That's how well he preached. And his name was Stephen, and he was the first martyr. And so here you have a beautiful picture of the office of deacon, where two of the principal evangelists of the early church are deacons. Isn't that beautiful? This is Philip. Now let's keep going. Philip has God speak to him, right? And the first thing we're told is an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Right there in verse 26. Now what's the application? What, what, what encouragement do we get from this? Well, what encouragement we get from this is that if you have had dreams and you have had God give you specific direction in your life, Scripture's filled with this. Don't think that this is something that God never does anymore. God still does give explicit, specific direction to his people. Now you say, well, wait a second. I thought that ceased with the apostolic age. And I say, well, (laughs) I don't know about you. hadn't ceased with me. And you say, so do you go into elders' meetings and tell the elders that God has revealed something? And I say, no. No. And neither should you. You know, it's a pathetic attempt to get a wife for a man to go and tell her that God's revealed to him that she's supposed to be his wife. (laughs) It's like, come on, dude. Grow up. My brother felt that God had very clearly given him direction. He was to marry a certain woman. He didn't tell her that. And then she married somebody else. And so every private direction from God is subject to the word of God. And should we add, to history. <laughs> you know, history shows that she did not marry my, husband, my brother. And given the way his life is gone, it's unlikely to happen, you know. <laughs> and so never take scripture as subordinate to your private revelation. And this does happen. You'll have people who tell you that it is not God's will that you are sick. 
there are people who make a living in our country and around the world. You go to Africa and it's in every hut. You'll have televisions of people who claim to be Christian preachers saying that it's not God's will that you be poor. Can you imagine how Africa is wide open to this? And, of course, they're the same preachers in America that say we're not supposed to be poor, we're not supposed to be sick, nobody's supposed to suffer, right? No, 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 no. That's contrary to Scripture. So we know they're not prophets. We know they don't speak for God. I've had a man tell me that God directed him that it was okay for him to commit adultery because of the sins of his wife. No, 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 no. No, God did not do any such thing. So never is your direction from God superior to the text of Scripture. And furthermore, it's not superior in, in, in almost any case to the counsel of your better half, your wife, or of the pastors and elders of the older. You understand God works through normal means, but this does not mean that God does not give you direction through dreams, all right, or in Philip's case, through a direct command from God, all right. Now, what is it exactly that God said to Philip. God said this to Philip. Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Now, where is Gaza? Well, if you go to the very, very upper northeast corner of Egypt, you'll find what's called the Gaza Strip. And it's just a tiny little strip of land that goes along the Mediterranean, starts at the border of Egypt, and, and just goes straight up. And in the center of it is the city from which that territory gets its name, the Gaza Strip, Gaza. Gaza is one of the oldest cities in the, in the world. Gaza, for, year, for centuries, was governed by uh, Egypt. Then it was part of the Philistine territory, all right? And so that's the territory that he is supposed to go to, the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. And note that when God gives him this command, he does not tell him what he's supposed to do. You remember another man that got a message from God similar to this? You remember Abraham? That God said to Abraham, get up and go, in his case, to a place that I will show you. So he was supposed to leave his, his relatives, his wealth, his land, he was supposed to leave everything for some place that God didn't even tell him. Get up and go. That's all Abraham was told. And Abraham got up and went. So Philip is told to get up and go to a particular place, but with no idea what he's supposed to do. All right? And so Philip said, well, where, when, why, how, and who? And, of course, that's how you and I obey. We have to not just know the place, but the purpose, the reason. And can you imagine any of us getting up and going to an area simply because God gave us direction? No, we'd be filled with explanations that God doesn't give directions like that anymore. And then, if we were convinced that it was a message from God, then we would say, well... I need a little bit more information before I can decide to obey. All right? But not this godly man. It says, so he got up and went. And there, and there, was an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, what is an Ethiopian eunuch? An Ethiopian eunuch is, first of all, an Ethiopian. 
And an Ethiopian is somebody from Ethiopia. And Ethiopia then was the territory of northern Sudan now. Okay? And so this guy is from the continent of Africa. A fair ways down. What is a eunuch? A eunuch is somebody who has been... Um, uh, I forgot the word. Um, yeah, that's the word. Thank you. Well, who is that? I mean, the guy has a photographic memory. Mutilated. I saw, listen, I kid you not, if I were after the first service to get sick and to die, just ask Andrew. He can get up and do it from memory. It's scary. <laughs> so he's from northern Sudan, and he is a eunuch, and that means he's been mutilated. Now, why was he mutilated? He was mutilated because, at the time, those who were in positions of high responsibility in nations were supposed to be safe sexually so that they would not pose a threat to the throne. All right? And in this particular case, if he is working most closely with the queen mother, then it's particularly important that he be able to be trusted, right? And that he not be a sexual creature. So uh, a eunuch is a pansexual, a transsexual transvestite, but not a transvestite, but you see above sexuality, all right? He transcends it. And he works with somebody named Candace, but Candace back then was not a name of somebody. It was, the, it was uh, analogous to Pharaoh in Egypt. It was the term given to the top woman, and in that kingdom, they believed that the king was a god, and so the king never meddled in any of the affairs of the state because he was above it. And so the queen mother, who always had the title Candace, was the one who took responsibility for all the administration. Okay? Now, the, interest, the interesting thing is that... The interesting thing is that the word eunuch was also a label and not simply a statement of fact. And so often men who had that position were actually not mutilated, but they still were called the eunuch. Isn't that interesting? And so here's the funny thing. We actually don't know whether or not he was Ethiopian, and we actually don't know whether or not he was a eunuch. Because the Jews had been spread around the world, and so there were Jews that were down in Ethiopia, and so it may have been that he was like an ethnic Jew who had never been mutilated, but who had charge of all the money for Candace. But I think it's safe to say that there would be reasons why whites would want to say that it may have been a white, right? You know, it makes you just a little bit... But if you go back in church history you'll find that some of the early church fathers referred to him as the black. And so it's likely that this is an account that goes with Cornelius. Now, if you know your Bibles, you know that Cornelius was a real piece of work for Peter to look in the face of. And the reason was Jews 
looked at all other ethnic groups as filthy. They called them the uncircumcised. All right? This is what Scripture says. And so Peter, in order to be willing to go into the house of Cornelius, the dirty, all right, had to have this vision of animals coming down from heaven And he had to see those animals and know for Jews they're dirty. And then he had to hear God say, don't call unclean what I have made clean. By which he knew that God was now dispensing of all the ceremonial laws having to do with clean and unclean foods. And so in other words, you had to take a bat, you know, an aluminum one, and hit Peter as hard as you could across the head for him a Jew to get it into his head that God was now opening up his covenant of grace to Gentiles, the dirty. And so now we move over to the issue of Africa. And we have another slam to the head. Imagine how this story spread like wildfire across the church. What? You baptized an African? A eunuch? The eunuchs weren't even allowed to go into the temple. They were mutilated. Now, really, today, we don't have any trouble understanding this, do we? Isn't it fascinating how timeless Scripture is? Do you know that in as late as 50, 60 years ago, the Vatican Choir had a man called a castrati whose parents had intentionally mutilated him so that he could sing with a woman's voice. And he directed the Vatican choir. Did you know this? Listen. Androgynous, eunuchs, this has never been anything but right there in front of all people all through time. Okay? This is why just in an incidental way, the New Testament will refer to people who are born eunuchs, made eunuchs by men, all right? This is why scripture will refer to the active and passive partner in a homosexual sexual relationship, just incidentally. And so here is this man on the road to Gaza, back to Ethiopia. Now, why does he have the special privilege of God sending Philip the Evangelist for him? Well, this is the next thing we need to see. Look at, look at, look at the text. And here we see, so he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And this is the first indication of this man's humility. Because if you think about us today, all of us are relativists, and all of us are multicultural, and all of us are pluralists, and all of us are uh, value neutral, and all of us are tolerant, and all of us are non-judgmental, and all of us put all of those words under the heading of humble. But of course, all of those words aren't humble at all. They're just the pride of the postmodern. 
we have risen above the distinctions and the condemnations and the dogmas and the separation of gods of the past, and now we're above all that, which what it really means is we defy the living God. We defy his word. We will not judge where he has commanded us to judge. This Ethiopian eunuch is humble because he makes a distinction between the God that is true and the gods that are false. He makes such a distinction that he, now picture it, number two under the queen, handling all her wealth, he gets up out of Ethiopia and he makes a pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. Can you imagine how they would have despised him for doing that? Why do you need to go to any other place, to any other God? And he says, because there is only one God. And they say, oh, come on, we've had, I don't know how many kings. He says, no, they're not gods. I'm going to go to Jerusalem where the only true God is. Not only is he making distinctions over between gods and traveling to the place where the only true God has declared that he will be worshipped, but then we see him on the way back home doing what? <laughs> Reading the only book which is inspired by God. Imagine this. It's the middle of the day. He's riding in a, in, in a chariot, right? And what's he doing? Reading the Bible. I mean, I can't even get you to listen to the Bible when you're cutting grass. Honestly, think of the place of the Bible in your life. This Ethiopian eunuch should fully humiliate you. Or you should be convinced he was wrong and that the Bible is not the word of God. One or the other, but you can't have both. If the Bible is the word of God, this Ethiopian eunuch is showing you the devotion to the word of God you should have. Am I, am I, am I communicating? Okay. So here he is in the middle of the day in the heat of the desert, traveling in a chariot. And if you think Ben-Hur, you're wrong. It's not Ben-Hur. Because Ben-Hur's chariot is just a little modesty screen and nothingness behind you, right? This chariot would have had four wheels, and it would have had him and his servant. Would have, you could see they sat down. And so probably it had something like our sails out front, you know, to cover him from. And he probably had a retinue. He probably had a whole host of people with him. And he's reading, and, 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 and the reason that it's clear what he's reading is because in the ancient world, they always read out loud. They didn't read silently. And where is he reading? If you were Philip the Evangelist, and you were told to go, and, and you showed up, and there was a rich man with a retinue and a chariot where there was seating for two or three or four, all right, and he's reading out loud from some text in the Old Testament, and you want to preach Jesus Christ to him. What book of the Bible would you choose? You'd choose Isaiah. And what chapter in Isaiah would you choose? You'd choose Isaiah 53, and that's where the man's reading from. And here's what he's reading, okay? He was led as a sheep to slaughter, 
And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And so he's reading the place in the book of Isaiah where the prophet points forward to the coming Jesus Christ. And the prophet says that he has no generation, no children, that he is ushered into death and he is silent like a sheep before the shearers is silent. And so what does he say? Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And here was the passage he was reading. And when they got done, the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? And then we read, Philip opened his mouth, verse 35, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And so here's this humble Ethiopian eunuch. And God sees him. And God quenches his thirst. Now, what was his thirst? Well, number one, clearly his thirst was to be taught. Do you know how much you hate being taught? And I know you do, because I do. Boy, we hate the fact that God teaches us with teachers we want to have a direct revelation from angels. And it really was humiliating that God did not send this high and mighty Ethiopian eunuch somebody worthy of his station in life. Instead, he's relegated to having a hitchhiker teach him. Listen, it is not sufficient for you to read the Bible. You need me and other men God sends you to teach you. And I know it's humiliating because I feel your pain. But how will they hear unless somebody tells them? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. And so here's a man who's willing to be taught. And I'm telling you, it's one in about 30 to 50. The church is filled with men who refuse to be taught. And it's real clear to me. <laughs> I hate to tell you, but if I gave you a video of your face while I try to teach you, you'd know that it's real clear to me. There are people who are like the little birdies in our lemon tree right outside of the window of our house. They rob and build a nest. And you can just watch the little birdies being fed. And little birdies are hungry to be taught. And so all they do is sit in the nest and wait for the parents to come back. And then their heads are back and they're... And you know what many of you are? Many of you are... And you won't smile when I show you that right now. You, you'll, you'll be damned if you'll smile. 
And don't think I'm cursing. I'm choosing my words very carefully. Because if you will not be taught by a man with feet of flesh, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Because God never saves anybody who refuses to be nursed by our mother, the church. And listen, if you think I'm coming up with that, no, 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 no. That's been the witness, the universal witness of Roman Catholics, Protestants together all through history. Cyprian said it, if you won't have the church as your mother, you won't have God as your father. Calvin reiterated, confessions say outside of the church, normally there is no salvation. You say, well, that's the church. And I say, well, what do you think I am? And you say, are you saying you're the church? And I say, yeah. And you are. We are the church together. And at the very center of the church is her worship. And at the very center of worship with pride of position is the preaching of the word. Did you know that in Acts 2, beginning with verse 42, it talks about what the early church was right after Christ ascended into heaven. And it says they were devoted to the teaching of the apostles, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. And did you know the first one is the teaching of the apostles? That's preaching. I am preaching to you the apostolic witness that the early church was devoted to. Okay? I don't care if you don't like me. I mean, I do. I cry at night. That was my son-in-law laughing because he knows I'm telling you the truth. I really want to be liked. Okay, that's a dirty little secret, but it makes me a better preacher. But listen, I don't care. I don't care. This last week, I was with Jurgen in a meeting, and we were warning an academic who is thinking of helping us in this church in a particular way, and he doesn't yet have tenure. And Jurgen, with a very, very sweet spirit, was warning this man that he needed to count the cost. And that his serving the church in this way might well mean that he will be denied tenure. Now, mind you, he's not going to do anything wrong. You know, he's he's not going to encourage college students to get drunk or to have abortions or to defy God or to look down their nose at that stupid story of Adam and Eve. And and in other words, he's, he's not doing any of the things that every other academic who gets tenure does. He's simply going to publicly confess his submission to Jesus Christ and to his word. And so Jürgen was warning him. And there came this moment where everybody's in the room and everybody's looking at Jürgen and saying, well, now, Jürgen, uh, you're like University of Bonn and the Kelly School of Business, and and, and like, if you're going to warn him, what about you? (laughs) And Jürgen said the most delightful thing. Jürgen kind of sat back and got this smile on his face, and he said, well, you know, I'm 56. And he said, you know, I've gotten to the place in life where I just don't really care. Isn't that sweet? There are many blessings of age, and one of them is you just don't really care 
Now, mind you, it doesn't mean we don't care for our families. We don't love our wives. We don't love you. We don't serve you. What he's saying is he no longer lives in the fear of man. But now he fears God. And they can't really get at him for fearing God. This Ethiopian eunuch was humble and asked the hitchhiker to get up on the chariot to sit with him and to tell him, who does this text speak of? Isaiah the prophet or somebody else? And so the Bible tells us that he gets up into the chariot, sits down, and preaches the gospel to him. Now, why was the Ethiopian eunuch going up to Jerusalem to worship? And why did the Ethiopian eunuch want to be taught? Why did God send Philip the Evangelist to Ethiopian eunuch? Get this. This is extremely important. Do you remember the other case in the New Testament where you have somebody who's a pagan, and when God sends him a man, he immediately confesses his need to be taught? Do you remember the Philippian jailer where he thinks he's he's done, so he's about to kill himself, and then all of a sudden, it turns out he's actually safe. All the prisoners are there, and his response at that moment is the weirdest thing you've ever heard in your life. At that moment where he's saved from death, where he doesn't have to fall on a sword, at that moment where he knows he's safe, he says what? What must I do to be saved? It's the weirdest thing in the Bible. He just was saved. And immediately he blurts out, what must I do to be saved? I used to wonder about that and think, what on earth is going on there? Well, the very thing is going on there that's going on here with the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch has a living conscience which is absolutely perfect pitch. And he knows the holiness of God. And he knows his own depravity. And he's hungry for peace with God. Because he knows that he faces death. And that in a short while, he's going to stand before the judgment seat. And he knows there's no hope for him. So he leaves Sudan. He goes up to Jerusalem. He worships God. He's devoted to the word. And he's right at the place where it says he goes like a lamb before the shearers. It's death. So he opens not his mouth. That he goes to death. That he has no descendants, no generations, no children. And right there it says he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. And we hid our, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And right there it says, remember, they kept reading. Right there it says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Right there it says, what does it say? It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. 
we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so here's this man reading the text that talks about the coming one who will die, who will die obediently without complaint. He'll shut his mouth. He'll be as quiet as a sheep being shorn. And then it says that he bears our iniquities. And there Philip gets up into the chariot and he says he doesn't speak of himself. He speaks of Jesus Christ. You remember you heard Jesus Christ was just crucified in Jerusalem. Yeah, what was that about? Well, let me tell you. And so he opens up that Jesus Christ was sinless. He was perfect. He was not you. (laughs) You know your thoughts. You know your wickedness. You know how you've alienated that girl from her boyfriend so that you could have her boyfriend. You know the drugs you've done. You know the alcohol you love. You know your greed. You know your jealousy of other women and their children. You know the impure thoughts. You know the pornography. You know your pride. And there Philip opens up that Jesus was sinless. No lust, no pride, no greed, no jealousy, no envy, no lies. A spotless lamb of God who was crucified, dead, and buried, and descended into hell. And the third day, God raised him from the dead. He has ascended into heaven, and now he has said, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Now go and make disciples of all men. And so he has Jesus proclaimed to him, and he sees that this Lamb of God who bears the sin of the world, spoken of in Isaiah 53, is this Jesus Christ he heard was just crucified, lifted up at the crossroads, naked, and dies on the cross. And now this Jesus Christ is his sin offering. This is the Lamb of God. This is the Lamb of God. And now you and I are done with our sin because it's on his back, on the cross, bearing the wrath of God. And this Ethiopian eunuch says, no, can it be? And then Philip opens up all of Scripture, that all of it from the beginning of Genesis where it says that he will bruise his head, your seed to Eve. The whole way to Malachi where it says that the father's hearts will be turned back to their children and the children to their father's hearts. And what a perfect description of what faith in Jesus Christ does to us as men and to our children. It's amazing that your children love you. If they knew what you were like. And it's amazing. Any of us that are fathers know that we love our children. (laughs) It goes both ways, dudes. And then, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And so, here this guy is. He's the cream of the world. He's a humble Donald Trump. 
if you can imagine such a thing. And he has Jesus proclaimed to him. And now what is his response? His response is to say, hey, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And he confesses that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Because that's all compressed into the tiniest mass. That's the gospel. Jesus, the crucified one, is the Son of God. God himself bore our sins. Why can't I be baptized? And so what the Bible tells us is that they stopped and that they, both of them, the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip, the evangelist, went down into the water and were baptized. And did you know that they weren't sprinkled? He wasn't sprinkled. Did you know that? He was immersed, fully immersed. Aren't you Baptists happy? Okay. And do you know whose authority I say that on? John Calvin. That's what he actually says about this text. He was immersed. In other words, look, from the earliest times, what everybody has agreed is that the method of baptism doesn't matter. Pour, sprinkle, immerse. What's important is what he did, which is, I believe in Jesus Christ. And now, may I please publicly demonstrate my faith. And so Jesus said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the essence, water and Trinitarian. And so what happens is he gets there, and he goes under the water, confessing that in his own trespasses and sins, he is dead. And so going under the water is repentance, and then he's brought back out into newness of life. And the Holy Spirit comes down upon him, and he's born again. And he says to everyone, from this point on, I die for Christ. My life is an offering to him. I'm devoted to him. And of course, we don't even think in the Old Testament to be devoted meant you got burned up. And that's such a beautiful description of what it requires to be a Christian today. You got to be willing to be burned up as a witness to Jesus. Okay? And this is such a precious gift to you this morning. That God is holding his son out to you and saying, come to me. And isn't it sweet that God's spirit motivated you to get up this morning? Who was it this morning that, who prayed and said thank you that we got up and came this morning? Didn't somebody pray? Joe who? Joe SQ prayed that yesterday. Thank you that you got us up to come today. And think that the Holy Spirit chose you to be here today so that you would hear God's kindness to the Ethiopian eunuch. And so you too may say, we got water. What's to keep me from being baptized? Don't ever think that spirituality is all true. Don't ever think that spirituality can come to you without physicality. Don't ever think that it doesn't matter whether you obey God by being baptized. Don't think that because you will suffer by publicly confessing your sins and your faith in Jesus that the obedience of baptism doesn't matter for you. 
It has always been costly to be baptized. But look what Jesus did. I mean, after what Jesus did, how could we not be baptized? How could we avoid publicly confessing our faith? Huh? How could we do that? And so the end of the sermon is come to Jesus. If you're not one of those who has silenced his conscience and is dead in trespasses and sin. But if your conscience is very active, wide awake, out loud, and it's unbearable, don't use drugs, don't use alcohol, don't use money, don't use a degree. Don't use your relationship with your wife or your children to try to pacify your conscience. Don't think this is an American thing. This has nothing to do with the United States of America. Absolutely nothing. Don't think it's a white thing. No, no. There is one mediator between God and man. The man, Jesus Christ. Come to him.